0: Happy Resurrection Day. Best day of the Christian calendar, right? This is it. Everything is changed because of today. I want to talk to you about the triumph of hope today. If there are words that capture the American experience, those words I believe would have to be two words, freedom and optimism. Um, We take these for granted, but actually we could make the case that these ideals were birthed in Western civilization, starting in Europe and going, coming across the Atlantic Ocean. In uh, May of uh, 1804, Lewis and Clark left St. Louis, Missouri, and they traveled the Pacific o- through Pacific Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Uh, um, got there in November 1805, they returned to St. Louis on September 1806, two, two years of their lives. But they opened up the uh, American imagination for the exploration of the West and all of this great country. Um, you might take all this for granted, and you think the, the fact that the American spirit is that we can uh, overcome anything. That's been the American spirit for all these years. You might take it for granted, and it's well, all humans are that way, but really all cultures are not, have not been that way. If you go back to Greek culture, other Eastern cultures, they believed that our lives were controlled by fate, fatalism, and their lives were controlled by temperamental deities who, depending on the mood they were in, would determine whether your crops would grow or they wouldn't grow, or determine whether you got sick or you lived or you died, and all of those kinds of things. But the spirit came to uh, the West that has spread all over the world, by the way, it's not confined to us anymore, but that we believed that no challenge was too great. Optimism, freedom, hard work, Gave us victory on the beaches of Normandy. Gave us victory over uh, smallpox, chickenpox, eradicated polio, and a lot of other things. And we put a man on the moon, and we created uh, the World Series and the Super Bowl. But then 2020 happened. (laughs) Even, you know, 2020, the most politically divided year in my lifetime, The most racially divided in uh, uh, tense years since since the 60s. And of course, something we never experienced before was a global pandemic. Something like over 30 million Americans have been infected with COVID 19. 500,000 have died because of or with it, however you want to say it. It's been tough. People are still talking about the new normal, not normal. (laughs) Faith is here, but it's fragile. Today I want to propose to you something maybe a bit radical. I want to propose to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only God's superimposing his love upon us, and it's not only substitutionary atonement, and the promise of going to heaven, but it's also the reordering of how we view everything, especially suffering, especially difficulties, especially defeat, especially disappointment. In 33 AD, a tiny band of Jewish men and women were at the depths of despair and disappointment, devastated without hope, because their Lord and Savior had been crucified, or the one they thought would be their Savior was crucified. But something happened to them. Something happened in an instant, something happened in an instant that turned them from being in deep despair, something turned them from being in deep despair And without hope, my notes just went away, but they will come back. I don't know why that happened. never happened before. But anyway, something happened that turned them, in an instant, in a nanosecond, from deep despair, totally defeated, hiding behind closed doors, to being world changers, literally world changers. And they established a community of faith that is, is still today the largest religion in the world and I, 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 a textbook that is still the number one bestseller. Did you know that, and get this, this figure was hard for me to imagine when I looked it up, there have been over 300 million downloads, 300 million downloads of the version Bible in the world all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I propose to you that what happened in Jerusalem at this dividing point of history is the one single event that gives us certain hope that we can overcome any setback, including a pandemic. Jason Michele is a pastor in Maryland, and he was for... uh, Uh, sometime a chaplain in Charlottesville, Virginia, and he talks about his training that he received to be a chaplain, that he was to be careful not to go in and superimpose his beliefs on people, but to be a comforting presence. And so one day, he gets his pager goes off, and a man has had a, a massive heart attack. He's in ICU. He's dying, and he goes to the ICU, and there the wife is there, who's sitting next to her husband, and uh, he asked her how she's feeling, and she's, of course she feels sad, but she says, I am not worried because I know, I know I will miss my husband when he goes, but I know I will see him again because I know he's going to go and be with God. And he asked her this question, he says, well, is that what's true for you? And she said, with the way he described it, a little bit of fire in her eyes, she said, true for me, son... The way I see it, the gospel's like gravity. It's true for all, or it's not true at all. <laughs> we're about to read, I'm going to read you in a second of a conversation between our risen Lord and two of his disciples who were devastated by the Messiah's public execution. Let me set the scene for you. One, one disciple's named Cleopas, the other we don't know, but they're walking back from Jerusalem. Jesus Christ has been crucified. All hopes have been dashed. And their countenance is down. And a stranger walks up beside them, starts to walk with them and ask them about their demeanor. And this stranger, and they say, well, haven't you heard what's happened in Jerusalem? Haven't you heard? Everybody knows what happened. Everybody knows that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who we thought was going to redeem Israel, who we thought would be the hope of the redemption of Israel, he was crucified and buried in a tomb. And so this stranger begins to talk about the scriptures and begins to show them from the time of Moses to the current time, all the scriptures, that had predicted a suffering Savior who would save Israel from their sins. Let's pick up the narrative in Luke chapter 24, verse 25. And he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Did not Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Let me give you one more verse that Simon Peter, who was one of those disciples, wrote sometime later. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now to set this scene a little further and to help you to understand what these two disciples were experiencing, let me take you through a few highlights of the last two weeks of Jesus' life. The last two weeks of Jesus' life, the first thing we see when we follow the narrative of the last two weeks of his life was a rich, young attorney, rich, young lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? So the cultural elite were coming to Jesus, and you know the disciples probably talked about that over dinner, so guess who, guess who came to see us today? You know, the guy in the community that has a lot of money and a lot of power, and he's asking our guy, about how to be eternally saved. I think things are going pretty well for us. (laughs) And and then a few days later, Jesus heals two blind men. And you know that was dinner conversation. Did you see that today? Rich young attorney last week, this week, healed two blind men. Then you you have what we call now the triumphal entry. Jesus riding through Jerusalem on a donkey and people start treating him like a rock star. I start throwing palm leaves on the on the floor in front of him and start shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, 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 and right after that, or sometime, might have been right before, but right during that period of time, uh, James and John, two of the disciples, their mommy comes to Jesus. And mommy goes, Jesus, I got a proposal for you. How about have my sons, one set on your right hand and one on your left hand, in your kingdom? Some, You mothers can understand that, right? My mother would have done that. But uh, the week did not end with Jesus walking into Herod's, jerking him off the throne, slapping him off the throne and getting up on the throne. It didn't end like that. It ended, as we all know with him being crucified at the place of the skull. Let me say this today, and all week long as I prayed over this sermon, I really felt like the Holy Spirit kept saying to me, some people are going to be in the services that are rocking, the world is rocked from past disappointments and hurts, and things that didn't go as they expected, and they've never reconciled the gospel with their life. The gospel is something so they'll go to heaven when they die. But they've never understood that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is pervasive and it's for here and now as well as as eternity. And I want to make this statement to you. The triumph of hope that I'm preaching about today is not the realization of our plans but the transformation of our disappointments. Let me say it again. The resurrection, the triumph of hope is not the realization of our plans but the transformation of our disappointments. The triumph of hope, number one, redefines our places of disappointments and defeat. Triumph of hope is the transformation of our locations. In other words, where you've been in your life. You look at Galatians 3.13 and you, you, it ends with the phrase, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But if you go back one sentence, it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In other words, Christ took the place called Calvary. He took the place of the skull and made it the place of redemption and made it the place of hope and made it the place of power and made it the symbol If you want to teach anybody how to live, you teach them the principles that were taught from the cross. And you will teach anyone how to live a good life and how to live the best life they could possibly live and the most redemptive life. We even sing, Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. We wear them around our neck. We put them around the visor of our car. We we do all that. A a more contemporary song simply says we thank you for the cross. I want to talk to you about what the resurrection and the triumph of hope does for every aspect of your life and what it does for us. First of all, it reminds us that there is no hope if this world is all there is. Sometimes uh, the late Eugene Peterson in his Message Bible gives us a biblical paraphrase uh, that I just love his spin on things. And I love his spin on 1 Corinthians 15, 32 where the Apostle Paul is defending his decision to live a life of discipline and suffering over a life of power and privilege. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, according to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the Message Bible says, it's resurrection, resurrection. There's always resurrection that undergirds what I say and do, the way I live. If there's no resurrection, we eat, we drink, the next day we die, and that's all there is to it. Without the resurrection, even if we solve climate change, economic disparities, poverty, hunger, I got a news flash for you. We're still going to all die. Without the resurrection, if we solve all the world's problems, we still perish. The certainty of the new heavens and the new earth is a triumph of hope. Also, it also affirms this triumph of hope I'm talking about. It also affirms that God always knows best. Like Cleopas and his friend, couldn't imagine a better plan than the one they had. It's almost impossible for us to believe that our timeline and our specific expectations aren't in perfect alignment with God. But they almost never are. The instant they said he was risen, guess what? He disappeared, right? Now that's what happened next, but I, I know what happened next, even though it's not in the Bible. I know it happened. They looked at each other and said, we were wrong. We were wrong about everything. We thought we had the best idea. Jesus, go take over the Herod's throne. Jesus, you let Rome know that we're not taking it anymore. That's, that's the best idea ever. <laughs> the minute they saw that Jesus was raised from the dead, they said, oh, I think God knows best. Some of you need a God knows best moment right now in your life. You need a God knows best because you're not quite so sure. You you feel like I gotta take control here. I gotta take over because things aren't going the way I planned them. They probably are going just exactly how he planned it though. Amen? It also makes forgiveness and love safe and smart. Nothing will keep you stuck in the past like resentment. Nothing will keep you glued to a place of insult and disappointment and pain and offense like not forgiving that offense nothing but the resurrection confirms it confirms that God uses people's offenses and their stupidity to accomplish his perfect will in your life the resurrection assures I tell you something else and this is not talked about very much because most people don't like to talk about judgment but I think the judgment of God is good news I think it's good news to know that people that are evil and oppressive and doing things like human trafficking and will not repent when they know it's wrong and will not care about the pain and suffering of others, I am encouraged to know that we will all be raised, will be raised to receive a reward or will be, re- will be, raised, to, will be raised to be judged justly by a just and holy God. And I love knowing that my Jesus is not only the lover of his children, but he's also going to be the judge of those who do not care and will not repent and will not return, will not turn from their hurtful and evil and damnable ways. It also teaches us to expect less of people and more of God. You know. <laughs> We keep expecting humans to be great. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? The Bible says we're all shaped into sin and we're all born into iniquity. The Bible says there's no righteous, no not one, and we keep looking for holy people everywhere. The truth is that we as humans fiercely resist God ruling our lives. And every generation keeps... In, in, in essence, killing God in putting him on a cross in raising up some human as the Savior. And that human always seriously disappoints, right? Again, I quote Jason Micheli, thank you, Steve, for giving me that book or, or telling me about that book because that book's been a great source. I probably wouldn't have had a sermon if you hadn't told me about that book. It's called Amazing Disgrace. (laughs) He says, the gospel leaves us with the bitter irony that the only person who can touch us and heal us and forgive us and make us whole is dead, forsaken, shut up in a tomb. Our only hope is that God won't leave him there. He goes on to say, true, the cross was a necessity for God to get rid of sin, but it's also a necessity for us to get rid of God. This is to illustrate, see, you say, oh, I don't know about that, but no, no, it's important. This is to illustrate the cross was important. It was important to know that humans want to get rid of God. You need to know that about human nature. You need to know that we needed a Savior. You need to know that we needed forgiveness, that, 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 that we're not only sinful, but we're foolish. You see, see, I don't think the people who put Jesus on the cross were necessarily thinking about doing something evil. I think, I think the people that put Jesus on the cross were people that you'd like to have as a neighbor. Amen. There were people who didn't have, you know, cars on blocks in front of their house. And, <laughs> and the, uh, le- there were people who wouldn't let their dog come and poop in your yard. They were nice people. These are the people who put Jesus on the cross. They were They were upstanding citizens. And they and they were working within the bounds of the law. They were solving a sociological problem because this Jesus was causing problems. He was disrupting everything. He was upsetting everything. He 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 was he was getting he was going to create more problems as as talking about himself being a king and all of that. And if, if, if Caesar gets wind of that. Rome's going to come down on us if they hear that Jesus thinks he's the king of the world. This is going to create all kinds of problems and he's creating all kinds of division between common, ordinary people and the, the, the political, religious elite. You know, the Bible says the common people heard the word gladly. Well, what's, what's, what's not said in that verse but implied is the uncommon people didn't hear him gladly. The elites didn't hear him gladly. So, hey, they were just solving a problem. Execution was normal for them. Capital punishment was normal. Crucifixion was normal. They were just solving a problem. They were doing something for the common good. So, stop expecting humans to be holy. In fact, in fact, let me give you a different perspective. Here's a here's a more proper perspective. We should all be surprised that the world is livable. We should all be surprised that we can walk outside and not get, in head, get hit in the head with a brick that someone's throwing. We should all be surprised that the lights are are on. We should all be surprised because we are so sinful and so depraved, we should be surprised that you can actually find a, a, a place where you can go on Sunday where there's a, two or three hundred people who won't steal your wallet. And we assume that, of course. <laughs> there's probably someone in the room who would. I've had, listen, I've had people steal money out of the offering plate. I really, really. When we were really tiny I, when we were turning, I found a guy, he was taking money, he was an usher, and he was taking money every week out of the offering place. He's he, the same guy, and he was, he was a leader in our church. He was. He had a title. He was a leader. And, and he, 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 he later got fired from General Electric for stealing $20,000 from them. I don't know why they didn't prosecute him. So I, never mind what I said about this being a safe place. We're shaped said We're born in iniquity. The triumph of hope, uh, and this is my favorite triumph of hope. Triumph of hope shouts to me and to you. What you thought defeated you didn't. What you thought defeated you did. And the message of Jesus overcoming the grave is not only an eternal salvation story, but it's also a guiding principle for believers you need to know that nothing can defeat you. In all things, the Bible says we're more than conquerors. Do you have anything that you're putting in the category of defeat? Well, get it out. Because in all things, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Finally, it also shows me how exaggerate my failures, and I minimize his love. Look at Jesus' response to the failed faithful loyalty of his followers. You know, if I would have been Jesus, I know exactly what I would have done. And I'm glad I'm not Jesus, and I'm I hate to break it to you, but I'm glad you're not too. But if I were Jesus, I would have gone to Herod's palace and I would have said I'm back (laughs) I would have said look at my hands you'll touch my side I'm the guy but no Jesus didn't do that Jesus went back to his same friends who let him down and he said here touch my side look at my hands I'm back he, he, he went to uh, uh, lying Simon Peter, denying lying Simon Peter, and said, Do you still love me? Imagine that. Do you still love me? Okay, you still love me? Feed my sheep. I love that. I love that. Jesus returned to his friends whose faith had failed and who couldn't stay loyal in his worst moments, and he communicated to them, It's okay. My love is bigger. The, the triumph hope is, here's what I, what I love about it. It's not a strategy, it's a certainty. Two Timothy chapter two verse 11 says, "In this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him to him until that day." The disciples didn't have a strategy session. When well, they got out the whiteboard and they said, "Okay, Jesus has been crucified. Let's talk about what our options are. And we're going to brainstorm. You ever been in one of those meetings? We're going to brainstorm. Right? Uh, number one, let's protest this injustice. Let's get our let's, let's organize a protest and we'll 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 go in front of the palace and in front of the temple and we'll protest every Saturday morning. Let's do that. Or or let's uh, let's form a, a let's form a search team for a new Messiah." That one didn't work out. We invested a lot. Let's, or, or let's just uh, smile through our pain and continually say something positive every time we have a negative thought. Let's do that. Or I tell you what, I got it. Let's, let's start a campaign called the Triumph of Hope. Let's obsess on hope. We'll, we'll have T-shirts made, merchandise. We'll start a vlog and a blog, and. Uh, get our Instagram account set up every day. We're just going to pump messages of hope. Triumph of hope, triumph of hope, triumph of hope, triumph of hope. We're going to we'll have we'll even have hats with a triumph of hope on the front of this hat. That everybody's going to wear. We're go, we're going to we're going to we're going to saturate the culture with the triumph of hope. No, they did none of that. They did none of that. Were not our hearts burning within us, they said, while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? Then they found the eleven and those who assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen. It is true. It is true. This is not a strategy. This is a truth. This is a certainty that we're building our life on. When something is true, we simply must believe it, and we must speak it, and let the truth lead us wherever it leads us. If it leads us to suffering, that's okay. If it leads us to success, that's okay. If it leads us to rejection, that's okay. If it leads us to elevation, that's okay. But we're going to speak the truth because we can't speak anything else but the truth. And the truth is, He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. That is the truth. The triumph of hope breaks through when we surrender to His plan. Let's go back to the... Cleopas and his partner walking with Jesus. Let's go back to that scene for a moment. And they invite Jesus into their house. They still don't know it's Jesus. And Jesus pretends he's going to walk on, but then he goes. First of all, look at the, let's revisit the significance of that in that culture. In that culture, if you ate with someone, it meant that you accepted them. It doesn't mean that in our culture today. But in that culture, if you sat with someone, probably, probably kind of the closest thing you would have to that would be maybe back in high school or junior high. Who, who let you sit with them at lunch? That, would, that meant you'd been accepted into that group. It's kind of like that in all culture. In fact, three of the four disciples, James... Peter, Matthew, James, and John, uh, three of the gospel writers, made a note to let us know that Jesus ate with sinners. And why did they do that? They did that because that was a big deal. That meant Jesus accepted sinners, that he ate with sinners. But there's another thing I want you to look at. It wasn't protocol for the guest to take over the meal. But they sat at table and Jesus, the guest, took over the meal. Because when Jesus comes into our life, he takes over. He doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. And so Jesus comes into our life. So so Jesus takes over the meal, which is kind of remarkable for one thing. But then he picks up the loaf, the loaf of bread that's on the table. And he did something that was common to be done. But this time it had huge significance. He broke it. And when he broke it, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Why? Because you can only recognize Jesus when you're willing to see him in his brokenness. When you're willing to see him as the broken, crucified lamb. When when you're willing to accept that there is suffering. When you're willing to accept that there is disappointment in the world. When you're willing to accept that there is... uh, everything doesn't go according to your plan or your ideal, when you're willing to accept that then you can see Jesus, then you can know Jesus because to know him in that context is also to know that he conquered disappointment and he conquered defeat and he conquered pain and he conquered suffering and he conquered abuse and he conquered the 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 death of your dreams he conquered it he crucified it on the cross and he rose from the dead to make your disappointments have no power over you anymore do you understand what God is saying to you today I hope you do their eyes were open this is not insignificant because it means we can only know Jesus we're willing to know him crucified Previously, Jesus' disciples had not been willing to know him crucified. He is saying, you must first see me as broken, suffering, and crucified. Crucified because I'm so sinful that he had to die. Crucified because I'm so loved that he was willing to die. Crucified because he is so powerful. He was completely confident he would defeat death in the grave. When they hurled their insults at him, the Bible says he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his Somebody needs to hear that right now. By his wounds, you have been healed. I want you to claim your healing. I want you to claim your emotional healing right now. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd of your soul. You know, once I know him crucified, and once I'm willing to see him crucified, I start looking for a tomb. Right? I can find the tomb of the pharaohs. I can find the tombs of the Caesars. I can find the tombs of... Military conquerors and medieval kings, I can find their tombs. But I can't find this one. It's empty. It's empty. So, once I know him crucified, I know him alive. Since he lives, that means he keeps all his promises. So there's nothing you can do to me, not a pandemic, not a civil war, not an insurrection, not cancer, not an assassin's bullet. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. This is why we worship Jesus. The word worship comes from uh, an old English word, worth And in Christ, we found worth We found the one who's worthy to take the cross up that hill and die on it. We find the one who's worthy for God to look down and see him in the grave and raise him up out of it. There are many people who I suppose would have died for the sins of the world. I'd like to think I would have if that were my job, if that were my burden. I would like to think I would do, I would die for your sins and all of the sins and the sins of all mankind, but it wouldn't do any good because I'm not worthy. I'm not. God the Father would have looked down in the tomb and He would have to live, live, have left me there because I did not earn the right to be resurrected. I only get the right to be resurrected by grace. I only get the right to do that when I'm, when I'm in Jesus. So He became the worthy lamb who not only died on the cross, but he took his own blood. He took his own self into the heavens. He took our own stuff into the presence of God, the throne room of God, and offered himself on the altar of sacrifice. And all of heaven, the angels of heaven, begin to sing, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And then we go to the book of Revelation and we find He's he's, he's breaking the seals of judgment that will complete the the plan for the earth and bring back the new heavens and the earth because He's the only one, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, is the only one that's found worthy to open the seals and release the end plan of God. Surrender, my friend, is no more or less than worship. That's what it is. I don't know what your tradition is. Maybe... Uh, in your tradition, people do not raise their hands. But in our tradition, in church, when people raise their hands, it's a physical way, it's body language way of saying, He is worthy. It's it's body language of saying, I surrender, I surrender my worth to His worth. And I'd like for us to do that right now. If you're kind of shy about it, you're, you're not, you're kind of from a different kind of church, maybe you Get him up halfway. But but, uh, some of you, I know, will go all the way. And I want us to just take a moment. Would you do that with me? Would you just join me in raising your hands? Let's just say those words. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. Jesus is Lord. He is risen from the dead. Should remain standing. You know, it's uh, meaningful that He is Lord, but really it doesn't mean a lot unless He's your Lord. And uh, I was thinking a few days from now, my baby girl here is going to get married to this guy right over here. And you know, you come to the wedding and if you're there, or those of us who are here, we're going to have uh, well, there'll be songs, there'll be music, there'll be readings, there'll be um, uh, a, a brief sermon, a devotional. It is going to be brief, right? <laughs> he's, do, he's doing the sermon. But you know, none of that will make them married. You could do all of that, walk out. She, they would still be single. In fact, you could dispense of all that. You could go right to one thing. read read the vows say I do you're married you can come to church and you can enjoy we we try our best to make sure the music's inspirational we try to make the teaching and preaching interesting we work anybody that's around we can tell we work at it all week trying to make the room great for you but you know you know what's going to make them married two words What you say, well that, that that's not very powerful, I do. Well it makes you married. It must be pretty powerful. And if it can make you married, it can make you saved. It can make you a child of God. If you are in the presence of God, say to him, I do. You know why? Because he did all the hard work. He did all the work. At Calvary, he did all the work. He fought devils in hell. He did all. He went to the throne of God and offered a sacrifice. So all you have to do today to begin this journey of faith is to say, I do. You know, that's what I want you to do today. And Some of you, some of you need to renew your faith. You've had those disappointments that I talked about. You, some, Somebody here, you went to church somewhere and it didn't go well. And they, they had a church split or you got your feelings. Somebody offended you and, and maybe, maybe they were completely wrong and you, you should have left. I don't know but you need to renew your I do today. You need to renew your vows. Then there's somebody else here today who's never crossed that line of faith and never said, Jesus, be my Lord. And I want you to do that today. I'm going to invite John Wiersman. He's going to come and he's going to pray with you and uh, give you some other uh, resources for your spiritual walk.
1: turn from my sins I ask your forgiveness I believe Jesus Christ is your son I believe he died for my sins and that you raised him to life I want him to take control of my life I trust Jesus as my savior I will follow him as my Lord from this day forward. Thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If uh, If you prayed that for the first time, in all sincerity, the Bible says you've been born again. There's rejoicing in heaven. I want to welcome you into God's family. We were, we're born into a physical family, but there's a spiritual family, and that's that's God's family, the church. And so I want to welcome you in uh, into this spiritual family. There there's a journey with Jesus that uh, that involves steps that you you need to take in in growing in your relationship with Him. And Pastor Phil and Pastor Jason have put something together for you called First Steps. It's just a it's a card. It's got a, a web go to the website and uh, follow it, but uh, let them know, let someone today know that you made that decision for the first time. It's the most important decision of your life. It's definitely the most important decision of my life. Let someone know today, and uh, let Pastor Phil, and Pastor Jason, if, you, if you're if you watching online and long ways away from, from this church, let them know, Be email somehow, we would love to get you plugged into a local church where you live. There is nothing like being a part of a spiritual family to help you grow, to want you to grow. Um, if you're in this, in this area, we want to help you take that another next step, which is to me the second most exciting service in, of the year. This is the most exciting one. Where we celebrate the resurrection, where you've made this decision to follow Jesus. The second one is baptism. When you let someone, someone know right now that you've made the decision to follow Jesus, but baptism is when you let the world know. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And we want to we want to celebrate with heaven with you about that decision. If you've if you've made the decision before and never been baptized, sign up. Sign up. So you can sign up online. It's going to be May 2nd, as was mentioned in the announcement. So please sign up for that. And uh, we're going to rejoice with you. Amen, Bethany. He is risen. Yes, say he's risen indeed. Let's try that again. He's risen. Amen. Amen. So as, uh, as we want to honor you and our authorities over us as you leave, so we have ushers that will uh, dismiss you row by row in keeping with protocol. Family is being dismissed first. Um, and then as you go, there's offering, play, uh, offering uh, buckets in the back for giving if you, if you choose to give in that way, um, the physical way of giving. But there's also online giving and via the app or recurring giving. So thank you for your generosity. And uh, God bless you. Have a wonderful, joy-filled Easter.